Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Welcome to episode 20 of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Uh, today, we had the great pleasure of getting to have a, a conversation with Michelle Bowens of the uh, Peer-to-Peer Foundation, who is uh, a leader in the commoning movement and um, really an active curator of all sorts of resources around the global movement to re- reimagine and reinvent uh the human political economy with uh, emerging understandings of of commons management and commoning. It was a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm very excited to start bringing the theory and and praxis of commoning more to this podcast and um, our listeners. Uh, it's, It's an important foundation from my perspective for understanding um, in quotes, what the post-capitalist world looks like and how we um, value and uh, exchange and govern uh, resources um, in the coming world or in today's world. And I think some of the important takeaways, just to sort of frame things out, are you know, uh, commons and markets, although um, historically there's been sort of this like public and private split in in classical economics, uh, this is really kind of a different perspective um, that understands the historical nature of of the creation of markets, and there really is no uh, dichotomy. Um, and there's no sort of like anti-market ideology embedded in, in Michel's work or in my understanding of, of commons. And instead, there's an understanding of, of uh, how to create tools for people to engage in setting the rules for local and international markets, uh, for creative ways to provision important community resources. And um, it's really enlivening to me. It's one of the most inspiring and enlivening um, movements that's uh, active today. And I think it's even more important in the post-COVID-19, post-coronavirus world that we understand how uh, sort of the, the intersection between individual sovereignty and, and liberty and, and initiative uh, and and community solidarity and identity and um, yeah that that the two are deeply interrelated and and creating tools for us to realize the potential of individuals in community and and communities of communities is enormously important in the twenty first century, especially as we start to see um, sort of conventional markets failing um, and conventional political systems failing, the opportunity for uh, distributed grassroots community action to fill the gap is um, more important than ever. So um, I hope you enjoy this this podcast. Um, thanks so much for listening and stay healthy out there.
Yeah, fantastic. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I've really been looking forward to having a good long conversation with you. So thanks for taking the time. Um, With pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're calling in from Chiang Mai. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's about 8 p.m. past here. Um, and, pretty dark uh, already. Yeah. How how long have you been um, based out of Chiang Mai? Um, so I moved. Uh, I'm Belgian originally, and I moved here in uh, 2003. And uh, you know, but to make a living, I travel quite a bit. And, you know, I give lectures and workshops, and and for the last three years, I had a hundred-day contract per year in uh, in Brussels, back in my hometown. And uh, I was supposed to be there, but they were closing the borders, so I, I guess you know jumped on the last plane to be with my family. Yeah. Um, because it's very hard to predict when you know when this thing is going to be over. Yeah, indeed, it's uh, it's quite a. Um black elephant event as yeah <laughs> nicely put <laughs> <laughs> not not quite a black swan because we could see it coming but we were yeah, ignoring exactly. it for a long time so yeah. it <laughs> yeah yeah well um i mean there's many themes that i'm really uh excited to just have a good long thorough conversation with you about um the the one overarching topic that I'm most interested to dive into, um, just to kind of like throw it up and have it as a placeholder, whether or not we get All there right. directly is, uh, you know, sort of up to us, is um, the the right relationship between market and commons. Yeah, um, and I would even say I would I would I would take it another layer and 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 ask, let's explore the right relationship between different types of markets and different types of commons to give us a little bit more space. Um, Because I don't think, I think neither is singular, really. So, so that's something I'm really excited about. And I'm, and I'm sure listeners are also have lots of questions or ideas, um, assumptions, (laughs) curiosity. So that's, that's a, that's one that I'd like to spend some time on. Um, I'm also really excited to get just get your sense of the peer-to-peer movement um, and the commenting movement from where you're sitting, which is, you know, w- with a lot of context, probably more context than I or many other people have. So um, maybe we should start there just to kind of like give the, the broad overview of like what is happening out there um, in, in this new world of provisioning goods and services in sort of a different way and managing yeah, can, um, and governance, yeah. Okay, yeah, can I give you some kind of historical background first, just to, you know, the place, the current yeah. moment, is that okay? That's yeah, fantastic, so, yeah, please. So, yeah, so basically commoning is, you know, like it's really a primary means for humans to, to exchange and to allocate resources and um in my view it was the first one right so if you look at uh, anthropological work uh you i think with a fair amount of confidence you could say that it was the primary means of allocating resources in in um you know the hunter gathering uh, period um and so basically that means that you know you you come back from your hunting and and or from your 
collecting foods it's not you know it's 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 for the group and then there are rules in the group that determine how it's going to be distributed um and so then the second step uh, for me is then when we get terrorized and we get more complex struggle societies that's when the gift economy comes in and it's important to know the difference between the two so commoning is when you're pooling you're pooling a resource everybody's working you know at a particular thing together um, and gift economy is I give something either as an individual or as a group to another individual or a group but there is a, a specific expectation of a return Right, so the way I see it uh, is it's like a peacemaking uh, technique, right? You, so you, you now have fixed villages, so you can't just go away to, to avoid conflict. So you, you create these social obligations through the gift, right? So then we get the emergence of dominator uh, societies, uh, you know, based on conquest and everything. That's when um, redistribution comes in because to in order to justify your power you have to to do something good for it as well so so, so michelle you're sort of saying yeah. that uh, the gift <clears throat> the gift economy comes into being sort of you know the, the potlatch style yeah. uh, sort of big there's a big man or woman and well, that, no, I, yeah yeah sure of course sort of like yeah. peacemaking is to sort exactly. of like uh, be part of both redistributing outside of the tribe um but also within sort of like yeah. hey here's yeah okay yeah 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 but then once you start let's say conquering you know uh, activities <coughs> then basically um you have to, to show something for it so it, it, it the domination cannot be based purely on force it has to have some legitimacy so then the the redistribution systems come into play that you know you're a lord, you get so much. You're a farmer, you get so much. Uh, you're a craftsperson, you get so much. So that's more or less the feudal system in Europe that worked that way. Uh, you know, and then the rich people, they, they compete to give to the church. And then the church is a social security system, which takes care of the orphans and the, and the widows. And, and, you know, so that kind of uh, logic, right? And then we have markets. Now, so before capitalism, the commons are always an integral part of every type of society but once we start privatizing and closing the commons you know and that's basically in in many ways what capital is about it's about privatizing things making it into a commodity that you can sell uh, then those types of commons will dramatically reduce be reduced and you know that's a situation we have in western countries where most people don't even know what commons are because you know it's not part of our vision of the world it's private and public right mm -hmm. that's that's the vision mm -hmm. we have um but so the second big phase is once we have enclosures so the privatization of the commons then you have all these people in the cities that um you know they die when they're 31 uh, nine of the, you know, I, I was reading this thing about uh, a city in northern France, where in 1830 there were 20,000 workers. They didn't even have housing. They lived in caves. They had 10,000 kids in 1830, and only 600 of them were still alive in 1840. Right. So that's wow. the period in the early 19th century 
and that's when we get social commons because what what do you what can you pool as a common resource when you don't have property well it's the risk your life risk right so you, they created fraternities mutualities unions you know all kinds of mechanisms to smooth out the the, the risk of life uh, mm. so that's that's the so i consider basically the welfare systems you know before they were generalized by the state uh, as a form of commons as a form of social commons yeah uh, and so then you can say okay so we we privatized the natural resource commons and we statified the social commons that gives the modern welfare state system after world war ii um, and then we have and i think this is now we're coming to the current moment a, a, a third phase which is digital networks right and suddenly humanity uh, rediscovers that oh wow well we can share knowledge we can build a common resource of knowledge we can you know make sure that software can be used by everyone we can make designs so that every entrepreneur can actually make these things locally right so these are ideas this is what we are dealing with today is is, is um, the, the so the emergence for me the re-emergence of the commons is first of all in these open source communities um, then after 2008 it starts actually becoming physical uh, because what we see in 2008 is an emergence of urban commons so people for various reasons but also you know strong motivation because of the crisis of 2008 uh, they start basically pooling resources in cities so we have the emergence of shared mobility shared housing um, I mean, these things have existed before, but they had been in decline. And so they um, basically uh, came back and I, I did a study in, uh, in Ghent in 2017, and we found there were 50 urban commons in 2008 and 500 in 2018, uh, 17, right? So that's a tenfold increase. And Ghent, Ghent, how how big of a population is Ghent? It's uh, 300,000 300, uh, people, more or less. So um, a mid-size, a mid-size European yeah. city, not yeah, a small yeah. town, not a not a big no. metropole area. Right. Um, and and with a particular history, it's you know it it was the uh, free city in the Middle Ages run by the guilds. It was a Calvinistic republic in the 16th century. It's the birth of the labor movement in, in Europe because of the textile industry in the 19th century. So it has a, a bit of a special fertile it's ground for It's also a uni university town, correct? It has yeah, 50,000 students. Yeah, it's yeah. a very nice town, by the way. I, I really recommend if you... you know, if well, you my co-founder at Region Network, uh, who, who uh, uh, Brecht, uh, oh, is, okay. is from Ghent. So I've oh, yet I to be, that. but uh, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's shared lots of stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a really nice town. But this being said, even you know, though it's a special town, uh, I've seen now re uh, research being done on this in the Flanders, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in Catalonia, and so this trend is verifiable. So there is today not just the open source communities, but there is definitely a revival of mutualization 
in terms of physical physical you know as it, for our hacker friends what they would call meat space commons yeah yeah exactly so and so here's one thing i want to say uh, so most of these urban commons are still mostly redistributional commons what i mean with this is if you have a if you have a cooperative housing project or a co-housing project most of them don't make the house right they they re redistribute it differently uh, but there are two exceptions and, th and that's important uh, because that's for me then the next phase that is emerging and so the uh, so this is for example energy renewable energy co-ops where you know 60% of the energy renewable energy in germany is now produced by village co-ops right so this is very significant um, and also in, in organic food. So there, there's plenty of, you know, typically like a city like Brussels with 1 million people uh, already a few years ago had like 180 collective purchasing groups in the city. So these are bands of consumers that band together, make an agreement with a group of producers, farmers. And so it's a market because, you know, they, they're going to buy the food, but it's the ecosystem is a commons because they, the rules of the market are established in a in this multi-stakeholder context where the um you know so it's not a power-based market it's really a, an ethical market where the the basically these collective purchasing groups will say okay we'll buy you know 10 percent of your production so if you're doing well we get more if you know if you're not doing well as a farmer will still pay you the same amount of money right so this is interesting for everybody because uh, right there's like the that and, and that um there's some really interesting stuff that uh rudolf steiner wrote about that kind of uh, associative economic theory yeah absolutely of, that, that that all of the csa community supported agriculture and exactly that sort of intersection yeah. with community supported agriculture buying clubs and co-ops and yeah yeah it's a, really interesting movement we're yeah. seeing a lot of that um yeah so people people don't know that corona yeah people don't realize that those are commons but they are right so it's basically a question also of, of human consciousness and awareness of what you're doing so similarly when the labor you know when the labor class emerged uh, in european cities uh, in the 19th century you know they they were just farmers who had been chased away from their land right the the there's there's books about this like E.P. Thompson the the I think it's called the history of the working class, you know that that it took a while for people to realize that their identity could be the, you know the identity of being a worker working together in a factory and and having solidarity to better your life that was not a given and similarly one of the things that you know that I'm doing in my work is actually making people conscious that what they're doing is commoning. Right, there's a lot of people right. are doing it, but they're not necessarily realizing that this is what they're doing. They and right. by giving it a name, you and and so the 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 important thing. Sorry, I talk a lot. So the important no, thing great. is that yeah, important thing is that I, I think that once you feel like a commoner, your identity is different. As long as you're a worker, so you're either someone without capital or somebody with capital. In, in, with that identity, you're still playing the same game, right? It's yeah. the game of, of, of pure capitalism. 
and your labor your labor time is a commodity and in order to do anything you need capital and you need a salary and you can change that saying well you know i'm a commoner i'm contributing to all these commons and i can try to make a living with other commoners and then look for market and other activities that create income for that contributive uh, part of my life and and for me so i know that's a jump but you know i i, I see this as a post-capitalist um, form of consciousness already and form of human practice and i want to stress and i'm sure you agree with me that you know we have to make a distinction between capitalism and markets yeah so i agree not, not only can you have various types of capitalist markets but you can have various type of markets that are not capitalist because their aim is not to accumulate capital. Right. You know, they, it can be purpose-driven, social entrepreneurship, mission-driven. Uh, there can be many, many things in which you need capital to do what you want to do, but your aim is not the accumulation of, of that capital. Your aim is to, uh, well, it, to do something. Yeah. It's maybe worthwhile. I mean, where I came from this, I mean, having read Eleanor Ostrom somewhat, you know, when I was um, in, I had read some of Eleanor Ostrom's work on um, governance of um, natural resources when I was in college in the early 2000s. And it was before she won the Nobel Prize, but um, you know, but she was still a, a well-known academic, and I was taking ecological economics, and you know, so I had read some of that. And then, you know, over time, I started to develop this sort of what I've been referring to as the you know regenerative enterprise theory. And you know, um, my colleague uh, Ethan Soliviev and I um, worked out this just by listening to people in, in this um, sort of participatory design process that we were calling financial permaculture, we were listening to people and we were finding that there were sort of eight discrete forms of value that we termed capital, um, which financial capital was only one, and it had its rules of markets, but people were also identifying that they exchanged and had different rules for social capital, which I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of what you were talking about in terms of commoning, um, you know, their basic rules for the preservation and provisioning of, you know, social capital in the form of favors and, you know, et cetera. There's living yeah. capital, which is, which I make a distinction between living capital and natural capital in that, you know, the, the, the value, in, you know, and we use capital kind of loosely, you know, we might say um, it, it, it's, a, it's a provocative thing to call it capital. And, and that's fine. I don't have a strong opinion that it needs to be quantified necessarily, but that there's value there and that that value um, is similar to social capital, living capital, must be uh, cultivated and you can't take too much out of the system without it starting to sort of fall apart. Like if you ask too many favors without reciprocity, 
it starts to dissolve. And if you yeah. extract too many resources and turn them from living capital to a natural resource, like, you know, let's just say yeah. from timber to lumber, you know, you start to degrade that um, common resource. Well, I, that I, common, I have essentially. I have some friends that uh, in France that have a project called Comtacare, um, and it's a multi-capital accounting system um, where they actually count uh, three forms of capital, uh, human capital, natural capital, and financial capital. But here's yep. the thing, and this is very important, is that what they want to do as a kind of reform of society and accounting is that you would have an obligation as an enterprise to, report. to be responsible and to be responsible for the maintenance of these other forms of capital. Because of course, what, yeah. what, is, what you do now is, as long as financial capital is, is, is going well, you can destroy nature and you can destroy people. That doesn't count. Right. And you externalize uh, all of these. Yeah. So that's sort exactly. of where I'm going, which is that, which is that, that the interesting thing is that when you get to multi-capital accounting, um, yeah. you, and this is where it's hard for me to discern the difference between a market in which we have cre socially constructed, uh, rules of accounting and provisioning that support right. the the greater than human landscape as well as all of the market participants and the commons uh because right. there it's sort of like nesting markets within commons is how i've always thought of it which we're actually as you said yeah, yeah, there's sort a, of like these layers and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know at the base is the commons and so you're just sort of like circling back and you're saying are all the actors, are all the participants, are all the stakeholders and the basic soil that grows all of the value, the living world, yeah. is that all considered? Yeah. And then what are the rules of the markets that allow us, you know, how do you do exactly. your corporate charter? How do you define fiduciary responsibility? How do you define governance and provisioning and redistribution? And this is yeah. how the medieval markets work, right? So I, I've been reading, this is a really book, a nice book that I recommend to you as well. Um, trying to remember the title now. It's, it's from Adam Arvidsson. Um, and I think it's called uh, uh, the, the, the Industrious Future of the Digital Economy or something of that nature. I, I, and he has an essay called um, Capitalism and the Commons. And he goes back to the Middle Ages because uh, basically, you know, in the 11th century, you had this, already in the first exodus from the uh, rural areas because of a jump in uh, agricultural productivity and so this was a time where the european cities almost did not exist anymore because between the fifth and the tenth century they had disappeared especially after the eighth you know the 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 muslim uh, world had basically uh, destroyed the power uh, of, of of rome in the mediterranean area and so the uh, you know the Frankish and other Germanic tribes who, who had established uh, power in Western Europe, they didn't have hardly any commerce. Um, so basically, a city until the tenth century was just a place where the bishop lived, in the few hundred or few thousands. Uh, clerks that were responsible for taxes and 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 you know those kinds of and things. And probably a seasonal um, market or fair where people would come yeah, and yeah, yeah, exchange but, but, goods and have a party. Yes, yes. <laughs> but so what happened is that slowly people 
you know, the burghers that would become the bourgeoisie later, you know, they started to establish themselves around, you know, the, the, the bishop or the, the balance of the bishop or sometimes the, the military presence of the, uh, of the local lords. And so that was the beginning of the cities. And the guilds, for me, are a form of social commons. So yeah. these were people who came out of the countryside that are re-established re markets and established markets that worked for them. Uh, so That's they right. had all these ethical rules and the whole, there was a whole ideology of just pricing. And so this is interesting because it actually shows you that it, you can have markets that are very much designed from a commons point of view. Yeah, they're encapsulated. They're right? a market within and even, it's a even, nested, and even the, nested market. Yes, it's and even the political system, you know, the, the uh, during the maybe 11th to the 14th century, a lot of these uh, free medieval cities were actually run by the guilds, right? They, so even the political system was an expression of these, uh, of the, the, this autonomy of these guilds. And the guilds had their own judicial system. So you, you, when you went to court, you, you had an internal court within the guild first. Um, so this is interesting because this shows you it's possible to do that. It's possible to have a society where the markets are designed, you know, around the needs of the commoners and the associated workers that were organized in the guilds. Um, well, I think and, that this is happening. This is happening again in the digital, the, the transformation of our economy to the digital with the state machine. The, the rise of the state machine, you know, one of one major tool of a state machine, or that is to say, a you know, a, a, a compute, a cluster of computers or a network that main, in, uh, maintains consistent internal state, where there's right. a consistent um, rules for accounting, consistent, you know, who has what, you know, there's a, there's sort of a consistency there that is, that is, uh, um, homeostatic or maintained, you know, you can sort of well, like I, see it as an entity almost. And I, I haven't the, heard the, about yeah. the, that concept, but that's very interesting. And I, I now would add, add to that, that, you know, many blockchain communities are now doing this as well, right? So for example, the fact that 40% of the tokens are reserved for the work, you know, that's, that's not a design that a capitalist would have. Uh, it's it's yeah. designed, is designed that way because the developers think that way and they want to protect their investment, uh, you know, of time and, and working and coding the project. And attract new people. So there's like, you understand that, yeah. So, I mean, there's so many layers. It's very, it's, um, it's invigorating to me to sort of understand that this next, because I sort of feel like with some people's work on commenting, there's, there can be a, sort of like almost like neo-marxist reactionaryism against capitalism which yeah there, there, um, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of uh, commoners as well and and I, I produced a little booklet uh, some years ago that was called the value in the commons and so my my basic thesis first is that we're moving from you know a commodity-based economy to a contribution-based economy right because mm. Typically, in an open collaborative system that creates a commons of code, knowledge, or design, you are going to have people that can easily have an interface with the market, 
and, but you're going to have a lot of people who produce non-market contributions that enhance the, the value of the network and that they but they don't have a, a means to realize that value uh, on the market side so then then you can start choosing and the design can be i don't want any relationship between the commons and the market it's a legitimate choice for me it's but it's a choice it is it is a legitimate yeah. choice but but it sort of is um it's on a landscape of many different choices in which different groups and individuals will have different contexts and will make a different choice. That's and it, best it comes them. at a price, it comes at the price because typically, um, in my view, you know, then in the current context, you can't make a living. And therefore you're basically also saying that the commons can only be something that is maintained by volunteers. Uh, you know what I mean? So, um, well, and it's, it's, um, I also think for me, the, the concept of nested systems, and this is very, you can see, you can sort of see the evidence of this in, in the way that nation states manage markets and have tariffs and other things. So there's, you know, this concept of, in, even, even in like, you know, neoclassical economics, there's sort of this concept of like the, the global market and then the national markets where, you know, one of the major um, attributes of a state is the ability to levy tariffs and do these sorts of yeah. things, which is, you know, as we're discussing, this is sort of a, a fundamental ability for groups of people to get together and have a conversation yeah. about uh, what what the membrane is around exactly. this, this particular is, group. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in the same way, and I'm, I'm, I'm harking back to you know, this wonderful book by Bernard Lietard, uh, The Mystery of yeah. Money, mm. where he says that every pre-capitalist uh, society had a dual currency model. And so there was a, uh, I can't, I don't forget what is male and female, but anyway, a male, let's say yin, uh, or is it the other way around? And then a, a female currency, right? And yeah, yeah, say yeah. female is yin and, and male is okay. yang. Yeah, complementary okay. currency it's model. Other, yeah. A, yeah. And so the idea is that you have on the one side extractive activity, which create a cold currency uh, that's, that's only vested in the extraction of value from people and resources. But then you have a warm currency that rewards generative work. And this is, this is a really big issue. And I know you're working on this. This is why I really like uh, the region network approach, you know, because you've, I think you've come up with a, like a really very important innovation and hack on this, right? So the idea, so first the generic idea is that you have this membrane. Uh, inside the membrane, you can create a contributory regime with contributory accounting and you can decide as an autonomous community what it is that you consider a contribution in your system. Right, and that gives you then uh, a warm currency. Uh, you know, Sensorica calls it the karma, uh, um, mm. and and the membrane, and then so the the income from the outside, from the recognized value from the dominant system, can be redistributed internally through the second um, uh, currency, right? And so I think in the this transition period, this is how we should approach it. But I think in the long run. And this is, I think, actually where your system comes in. Um, 
so this is an example that I always always give, and you, you probably know it. So Terre des Liens, a French community land trust movement, published an amazing report in 2016, where it cal calculated all the positive externalities that it yeah. was producing and also the negative externalities that it was reducing. And for example, it came up with 300 million euro per year in money saved in deep pollution of water. That's just one, one thing they were doing, right? And so today, and this is the drama of capitalism, is that there is no way to fund these things. So, the, so we, we say there's only one way to make money, which is extraction. Uh, the, and then we tax it or we do philanthropy. And part of that money would then trickle down, if you're lucky, to fund generative activities, right? But the, the, the end result is that if you're a farmer improving your soil every year, you actually you know, are not very well funded. If you're a farmer and you destroy your soil, you, know, you get all kinds of subsidies from the European Union and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think this is where we have to change. And, and I don't have an answer for this, but my, so one answer is this idea of circle of finance, which I get from your work. So the idea that uh, you start calculating, um, you know, these negative externalities or these positive externalities, and you make agreements to make it flow back to the people who contribute to its realization. So basically, then, you know, all these farmers could say, and I, this is very because you know that's I think more or less how I understand what you want to do as well is can then declare, let's say, the decarbonization effort. It gets verified on public ledger. It gets tokenized. And then either the state, because it's a priority, a social priority, or big institutions with profit from those externalities can say, yeah, you know, we'll give back 20 X percent of what we are saving, put it in the fund, and then you create a, a generative flow. So in this case, we actually have performed a miracle, you know, in a way of directly funding generative work yeah and I, I think this is the holy grail of what what we need to achieve now it's it's we have reached this stage where we overusing so many resources that we can't survive as a system if we don't fully account you know for these externalities right so um and, agreed and, yeah. and i think there's multiple ways i mean i think the way that you described is kind of my preference, although I think it's yet to be seen how the new sort of uh, climate regime is going to function, right? Because uh, it's just starting in this coming year that people, that countries are starting to, you know, um, get down to the business of their carbon accounting promises and pledges. But um, I think this sort of um, this sort of accounting system that you're talking about has been in you know that we're, we're sort of building towards that and in the meantime we're we're trying to make it uh, more open and transparent to essentially issue credits onto existing carbon markets which I think you know there's various reasons why I don't love the sort of carbon market mechanism structure, but, but it's sort of like a baby step in that direction. And then yeah. if you look a little bit further, 
off the horizon about how we um, fund and provision these sorts of common and public goods, specifically in the ecology sphere. I think that, that there needs to be the tools for much more localized groups to do internal accounting and feed that up into the next nested system and then the next nested system. So you essentially have a global, a cosmo local or you know global yeah, yeah. and local um, accounting system that can reconcile itself where yeah. people like a, in a watershed level can say, well, look, clearly for us, it makes much more sense if we have healthy water and agricultural systems that uh, provide diverse nutrient dense food and you know we preserve our forests and these other things that that's clear clear that it's healthy for the local system it's also clear yeah. that it provides goods uh, that as as yet have yet to be valued for people downstream and people globally and so you can start yeah, yeah. to see this sort of like nested provisioning system and there's i don't know if you're familiar if you've seen uh delton chin's work at all i don't think I did so. a, it's not familiar i did a podcast with him um if you have time it might be interesting he's very resonant with the original vision of region network uh which i still think is is maybe five years out or something like that um which is this sort of global uh carbon uh, carbon plus let's call it like holistic living carbon reward currency which is very similar to uh bernard leotard's complementary currency which is that you sort of have a global pool that um underwrites a certain percentage of the extractive global economy puts it in and then has a continuous funding mechanism maybe a little bit like you know, you could sort of think common stack and region network and a couple of other things. And you start yeah. to see if you can provably verify, if you can verify um, the provision of, you know, the, the stewardship of that forest or the maintenance of that farm under conditions where the soil is growing instead of getting extracted, you, you're maintaining riparian buffers around the watersheds, you're, you're a city and you have the appropriate um, tree coverage, you know, the, yeah. the landscape connectivity, the w watershed, uh, or sorry, wetland health, estuary health, all of these different things yeah. sort of get automatically provided with yeah, yeah. this reward I, currency, which has a fixed exchange rate, essentially, so that you okay. can guarantee that you, you know, so that's, that's Delton's work where it sort of intersects with Regen's work, which is we've, we foresaw that being needed and what we foresaw was that there the, the demand for any of that to work is a high degree of rigor and um, transparency and integrity around how the verification takes place no matter how you design the and i think there'll be many different attempts at this but yeah. what what we see is that there's a basic infrastructure which doesn't exist yet which which is sort of cryptographic security and um, and the ability for intersubjective verification at different scales, where you you have yeah. uh, you know you need local verification, you need regional and national and international yeah. verification, depending on you know what's being claimed, and and that yeah. just doesn't exist yet. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's a question of power as well, right? So we, at this stage of history, um, so imagine you're, you know, so the, the, these guilds start making, you know, money in the cities. And at some point, you know, if you're, if you're a landowner, you start thinking, well, maybe I should invest some of my money in the city, you know, because it's, it's bringing more benefits than, than what I get for my land. Um, and so this process, you know, was basically a process whereby you know, the, the burgers in the city gradually created a world that worked for them, right? Yeah. And, and I think this is what we are doing. Gradually, the commoners, we're working out a world that works for us. And of course, we don't have, we have only a very little power. Um, and so we have to make all kinds of compromises but I think we, if we keep our view on the long run, you know, we, 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 we make progress. And I, I want to bring in some, uh, another historical frame, which I really like is this, I, I just wrote about this. Um, I call it the pulsation of the commons. And it's, you know, this vision that human history is marked by more extractive periods and then regenerative reactions. And so this is confirmed by the studies of biophysical economics, it's confirmed by Cliodynamics, which is the school of Peter Turchin. Uh, so there's various historical schools, uh, Karl Polanyi, uh, the, the Kondratiev people. So there's various people who agree with this, right? So basically you have a, a system that's based on competition, you know, a peer policy system. In order to win, you have to extract more than your neighbors. Yeah. yeah? Whether it's to fund your army or, or anything. And so you're going to overuse and impoverish your, your home base. And then what happens is either they change, you know, capitals, which is what happened in China or in the Maya kingdom. You, you can see that when, whenever a region was, you know, getting too poor, then they would move or another force would take over. Um, and so in, in the regeneration period, and there is a wonderful book about it by Mark Whitaker called um, Ecological Revolutions and the Actual uh, Religions, right? So he says that, you know, this was of course a few hundred years ago that whenever societies reach a crisis point, the people and religious reformers would band together to restore, you know, harmony in, in, in the society. So basically arguing, we need to respect nature more. We need to have more brotherhood between people. Um, and they would then for some time period be able to rediscipline the ruling class uh, into a more, you know, um, regenerative behavior, right? They would kind of police mm -hmm. the behavior. And I don't know too much about it, but there is uh, actually a period in Japanese history, which is called the Togukawan period, where yeah. apparently for 300 years, they were able to live within their regional planetary boundaries and have a stable population for 300 years. And this is very interesting them, right? And, and so the commons is an essential means of doing that, right? Because mutualization has an enormous effect on the footprint. 
um, the, you know, you have a car, sh a real car sharing, not Uber, but a real car sharing association or co-op, your every shared car will replace nine to 13 private cars while maintaining full freedom of transport. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that's what I'm working on. I'm working more on a political level, you know, in trying to convince political forces as well that this is where we have to go. We have to find, uh, you know, think about COVID, right? Because this is very, uh, a very good example. So first of all, we have rampant market failure. Uh, you know, the just-in-time system. Yeah. Um, so China closes its economy down and nobody else in the world has access to masks, ventilators, you know, it's, it's just not there. Um, and we, you know, I think we are, you are realizing it too, is that 90% of companies would not literally go bankrupt if, if the state wasn't there. Right. So this is, uh, this is serious. Then of course, from the point of view of the neoliberal state, they actually sold their stockpiles last year, which is a, you know, that's a state failure, right? The total capacity to, to be resilient, to, to plan for bad times. Um, and so what we see is this enormous emergence now of literally thousands of groups globally that try to compensate for these failures by doing open source medical devices. But what we see is that there is no institutional mechanism to work with that. So, you know, hospitals saying, oh yeah, yeah, we need ventilators, but we can't use yours because, you know, it's, uh, it's not it regulation. Yeah, it doesn't do the thing. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't meet, yeah, the, yeah. meet the regulations. Yeah. And, and so that's because we have a lack of public commons protocols. Right. So I'm very happy to see what's happened in Italy, you know, where the Bologna regulation for the care and regeneration of the urban commons which has been taken over by 200 other Italian cities, has been able to mobilize 1 million Italians on urban commons projects. So in other words, they have legitimized urban commoning and created a protocol which smooths out the cooperation between the public sector and the common sector. And I think this is what now has to happen globally. You know, we, we, we need to convince uh, politicians that we need these protocols we, and, and uh, I think somehow what you're doing fits in that because it's also creating protocols, you know, for circular finance. Uh, well, it's that's the same. The, it's the same piece of how do you have the. I mean, the, we're reasoning through specifically the. We have this conversation regularly where, <clears throat> in my mind, the same patterns around um, tools for groups of people to get together and and value something that's in the common good that's currently not being valued or funded but is needed by everyone actually you can create the the structure and the tools to for people to be rewarded for yeah. that regenerative action um, and outcome exactly. and yeah. the the sort of the the system of verifying and and then, you know, paying for the actions and outcomes is at a pattern level, it's the same whether you're talking about, you know, uh, taking care of a park or yeah. 
you know, pr providing, pr providing ventilators from a maker space to a hospital or, or regenerating soil on a farm. The, the pattern level of like what you need to, to have available as a, as a community to verify the action has been completed successfully, identify a common threshold after which there's a, you know, a, a, yeah. a payment that's provided or, or whatever it is, or a reputation that's provided or however you, you value something. Yeah. So we're very aware there's, and there's, there's other groups, obviously you're, you're aware, there's other groups doing fantastic work in this space. And I think we're all starting to recognize that there's a, a commonality, a common pattern set, like a pattern language, essentially, that, yeah, that that's emerges. Yeah, interesting point. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I just saw my, my daughter's hand in the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, your first question is, where are we, right? And, and so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we're, we're moving forward, right? So yes, we're still a minority in society. A lot of people don't understand what we're doing. But if I look at 10 years ago and where we are today, I mean, it's just amazing, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, now, is it going fast enough to compensate for you know, the, the, the number of crises that are coming at us? No. But um, I think what we're doing is we're establishing the seed forms, and you call it the patterns. I think it's very similar. You know, so imagine you're living in the, you know, uh, the, the Middle Ages, right? So you have the feudal system, and then somebody invents purgatory. Now, purgatory is amazing because, you know, before purgatory, you couldn't lend money as a Christian. You got straight to hell because usury was actually defined as interest. You know, it wasn't like too, interest was usury, you know. You, so yeah. making money, making one money with money was not something that was judged positively by the, by the Catholic Church. And, and the warriors, you know, they were conquerors. They, they, they weren't doing commerce either, right? So once you have purgatory, uh, you, you can sin, lend money, and then pay off your sin with these indulgences which build the codic cathedrals. So this is a pattern, you know, solution, a spiritual solution that suddenly allowed the growth of all these medieval cities to take place. Uh, then somebody invents, you know, the... the wow. The so, what, so what region network... Uh, the first phase of region network is some sort of like ecological purgatory system. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to, to enable to enable the extractive capitalist system to to pay off indulgences to to keep their corporate charters no, or whatever. But, is, so that, but isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that exactly what we're yeah, doing with carbon offsets and everything? Is, that's what we're doing. It is. That's what that's yeah. what we're doing. And and it's a paradox. Yeah. So we you know in order to to recognize value, you have to count it, and you have to have some mechanisms that you know legitimated and and so i think that's part of what we're doing right so what i'm trying to say is that we're doing the same that what these people did we're inventing new patterns and then some people will combine two patterns some people combine three patterns and then suddenly you start realizing well this is more than just a few patterns this is actually another logic for organizing mm. society right yeah and and i think at least in 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 our environments that are more and more people getting this 
right? And this is not all politics between left and right. You, you know, it comes from all directions. It's a new paradigm that is emerging within the old one. Um, and so I'm very interested in, in you know, uh, common stack and commons engine and exa economic space agency, um, because that's what they're doing, right? They, they, and, and region network and, and, and all these projects for me are trying to formalize these patterns and finding tools uh, that allow other people then to take them up and to use them. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm very interested to see how things go over the next couple of years, especially with this big shake to the system. And, you know, I sort of wish this had happened in another year or two when uh, because it feels like, you know, you're always caught slightly behind. I always feel like, oh, man, if ready. we just had this the other we're year, we're not ready, ready to, to take it to, to for the shock to to because it's just not it's just too untried. There's so many of the yeah. things that we're trying to do that we don't we can't point and say, oh, look, they did it completely all you have to do is just right off the shelf just take it and you can start yeah. to do a local currency right now so that you can connect with your farmers and you can keep your local economy running it's no problem it's more like no no yeah. we have this idea and it think it you know there's some corollaries that we can point to and we can say that they've worked well and there's some historical references yeah. and look it's all good but you're going to have to build it on the fly as all of this happens and so we're just a little bit yeah. flat-footed i think um yeah. in terms of being a movement. Have you have you been keeping track of the meta-modern uh, movement and sort of meta-modern polit political ideology that's emerging? Very, very, on the very basic level, um, I, I, I myself come from the, originally from the integral theory. Yeah. Right, so yeah. I, I, I was one of the co-founders of the Integral Institute politics way way back and I interviewed I did the first interview with Ken Wilber when he came out of his uh, Isolation period uh, I, That was in the late 90s um, And so I saw always peer-to-peer -peer and the P2P foundation as some kind of progressive integral theory because at that yeah. time I, I found that uh, there was, a, in my view, too much of a neoconservative um, reaction pattern within that movement. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm open to all kinds of uh, integral movement because I, you know, I was I was reading not not uh, Sorokin but about Sorokin. Are you familiar with his ideas? So he's a sociologist from the 1930s. He wrote three volumes, and he saw the evolution of society between ideational spiritual civilizations and sensate materialistic civilizations. And I don't think it's a big jump to think that extractive periods tend to be sensate materialistic and regenerative periods tend to be, uh, you know, idealistic uh, um, and, and spiritual or spiritually oriented, right? Mm. And, but he also mentioned something interesting, which is what he called the in, in, integral, integrative, which is a mix of the two. So sometimes in some transitions. And so I, I want to give you a reasoning and see what you think about it. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I see this pulsation, right? 
Um, and basically, capitalism believed that it could get out of it, that it, you know, through energy and and productivity, that it could basically liberate itself from these natural constraints. And so, therefore, we have now reached a, uh, a situation where, like, we're totally out of whack with with this with the natural resource base. Um, and so what, what makes me think, uh, what, what I think of this then is that I think we've reached a stage in human history where we actually have to abandon the pulsation. You know what I mean? Like this is not just, you know, short-term regeneration. This is actually at a stage in human history where to have to, we, we have to make it permanent. Like we, we are no longer have the luxury to fall back on, ex, on this kind of extractive uh, exaggerations. And so well, we think, have to find, we have to limit somehow. It's like, yeah. we have to it, sort of encapsulate and limit the, the swing to extractive yeah, yeah. And, and, and define and the, where, that, where that sort of like competitive extractive behavior could, you know, play out in a way that, yeah. that the net result is not destruction yeah. of the biosphere or destruction of human society as we know it right. or you know and 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 that's why i like the approach of the uh, reporting 3.0 project which i i know you're familiar with you know mm. and so are you familiar with peter pogani uh, so he wrote a book called rethinking the world and he's the first one in my view that does this so he looks at the thermodynamic basis of society then he looks mm. at the socioeconomic regime and whether it it works with, with it and then he looks at the third level, which is what he calls the mode of apprehension, right? And he says, okay, society is a complex adaptive system. Therefore, it can only change through chaotic transitions and bifurcations. Yeah. Which entail a real mutation of consciousness, not just an evolution and integration, but a shift. And so he identifies what he calls global system zero, which is the ancien regime, the mercantile system, which ends with the Celtic transition of the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars. Then we have the Smithian capitalist system, which he defines as full dominion of capital over labor, which ends with the Celtic period between 1914 and 1945, which gives the second global system so zero, one, and two. So now we're in two, and two is defined by the welfare state, which is a compact between capital and labor, and what he calls weak multilateralism. So institutions like the AMF, IMF, and the World Bank, which can mediate conflicts in the political ec economic sphere. But what we don't have, and this is you know the prediction for uh, global system three, is something that can protect nature. So in his view. We are in the middle of this chaotic transition since 2008. And where we have to get at is a system with a compact between humanity and nature. So a recognition of that interdependence and a strong multilateral system which can protect nature. Right. And so I think what that is what reporting 3.2 is, is doing. They're, they're looking for a system that would be this global thermodynamic accounting system, which would be then integrated, you know, at lower and lower uh, molecular levels, 
so that any corporation, any entity, any corporate entity could say, okay, this is what we can spend, right? Uh, and that has to be coercive. We, so freedom exists as long as you don't, uh, you know, destroy the lives of other people, as it were, right? And so uh, what I'm trying to see is how can we preserve freedom within this, you know, coercive limits, right? And that's where I think systems like the ones you're developing are really interesting for that because one of the ways that I interpret what you're doing is that everybody can be mobilized, right? So it's not the state telling you what to do precisely. We have to decarbonize, but you do it as you wish and we'll reward you for it. So we, we preserve this freedom of initiative, of innovation. Um, you know, otherwise we get some kind of eco-fascism with rationing and, and all kinds of things. You know, they're already talking about rationing in London now with, with COVID. Um, you know, when you're in survival, this is a natural reaction historically is to, you know, get yeah. more authoritarian. So I, I think given the inevitability of these ecological crises, finding ways to preserve that sphere of freedom is going to be interesting. And, and so in my work, I tr what I try to say is, you know, you know, transcend and include, right? The integral method is you say, okay, what's the best of the commons? The best of the commons is free mutual association. Yeah. People gathering around common goals and, and, and shared resources. And so this is mutual coordination, stigmergy, the ability to see what everybody else is doing and so to freely adapt your behavior to the needs of the ecosystem. So this is the basis. And if we have accounting, we move from immaterial coordination to actually material coordination because that's what accounting is. It gives you a vision of what is happening in the physical world. You know, the real transactions of matter, right? So this is yeah. why the, I see the blockchain as the internet of transactions that comes mm -hmm. on top of the internet of communication. The internet of value, yeah, I've heard it referred yeah. to as, yeah. Yeah, and so then the second thing is, okay, let's take the best of the markets. So this is thinking about regenerative markets. How can we design markets that work for the natural and the human problems? And the third level is the level of planning, which comes from the state or, you know, the common good institution that looks at the whole and this is where I think the reporting 3.0 system comes in and or similar systems where we can have, you know, um, frameworks for human behavior, right? That, that do not allow us to destroy our ecosystem. Right, we, we identify thresholds and, and consequences when people pass those thresholds essentially yeah. uh yeah. that that are that benefit the maintenance of and you know kate raworth's donut economics yeah. is similar just sort of it's such a great visit, visual to just sort of yeah. say you know we have an yeah. we have an upper limit and a lower limit and we need to stay between these yeah. and we can either do it in a way that um preserves you know, it, it yes. can be done in many different ways. You can do it it's in a, a way great that preserves... synthesis, But I, I think what she was missing was that, um, so she looks at, uh, you know, the negative uh, planetary boundaries. Yeah. I think where reporting 3.0 comes in is to actually look at resources, you know, in a, in a pragmatic and, and positive way. Is this, you know, yeah. this is what we can no, use. No, agreed. Right? 
And so they're, yeah, agreed. And they're complementary. Yeah, they're very complementary. And I think I always, like the aim of any, uh, for me, the aim of, I, I guess uh, the, the human species aim in a time like this should be to grow the, the, the planetary threshold. You know, if, if we're actively repairing the carbon cycle and regenerating biodiversity and, um, and optimizing the use of the industrial basis that we have um, and, and sort of like those cycles can either get smaller and smaller and more and more fragile, or they can get larger and more robust. And, you know, yeah. we can grow the threshold that we have to operate. That's that's a really positive vision, and that's what we need because otherwise we get into these, you know, really, um, uh, you know, some kind of big bigoted, uh, uh, you know, shrinking small uh, Puritan uh, negative reaction to to life, right? And I well, and I that's where the degrowth it. movement, I think. I, I mean, this yeah. is. You know, although I resonate with the sort of small is beautiful, handmade life vision, and I think that that can, uh, that there's ways that that can regenerate cultural capital and it can, and it can create more meaningful life. I think, you know, it, it's misguided because it doesn't understand that, that there's that the, the, the meaning that's generated by us cooperating together to grow something and that life yeah. grows and like yeah. like we're we're life and so there does need to be something generative and you know that we're yeah. pouring energy into and yeah. i think that, that the invitation is to grow during the time that we have available in in our son's yeah. lifetime to grow the yeah. to garden the earth so that we actually grow the threshold that we have available yeah, and yeah. The, all of life has available you know in a, yeah. in a very sort of mutualistic way i think that's at least for me, it's a very compelling yeah. sort of like planetary scale ethos that it's very, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's very powerful for me. And I, I don't know that there's a, a big percentage of people. I don't even think, you know, I was referring to metamodern thought, but metamodernism is essentially, it's kind of like integral 2.0 or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and, uh, and there's, but with a specific, political bent that's sort of saying this is about politics and this is about uniting the you know the three h's the the hipsters the hippies and the hackers which i think right. are all commoners by the way which is why yeah. i asked i think that yeah. um sort of the precarious yeah, I'm, not, I'm not so familiar i'm not so familiar with the details of uh, metamodernism i've read a bit about it but no, I, I still have well, to the, read Prime the basic, and, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. He's a, he's a great writer. He's a provocateur. It's very fun to read. And, and the basic piece is just that, you know, that there's a demand for solidarity and and identity to to coalesce around um, people who are post postmodern. You know, who are who have yeah. are are living in the digital age and have had, you know, um, certain life conditions to start taking responsibility in politics. And his thesis is essentially, it turns into a politics of process. So the okay. political parties will have no position. They will have a process, yeah. they will have processes that they're saying, oh, here's the process of 
municipal participata- participatory um, democracy that we're yeah. campaigning to to create or whatever it might be, right? And it'll be different. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's also very emphatic around, which this is where it could be scary or it could be exciting. He's very emphatic around um, the need for sort of uh, the politics of sort of like a, a psychological development mm-hmm. where where institutions become responsible for optimizing conditions for healthy human psychological development. And that's where you start to open up the sort of, I mean, that's a traditionally has been a very scary place. And he's sort of saying, look, it's happening already. What's important is that we campaign on a politics of process so that everyone is participating and choosing how we're consciously socializing ourselves. Yeah, I, I've been thinking something a bit similar. So I, I have an issue with, you know, the kind of hierarchical ranking that is very popular in the integral movement because it can very easily come, and it actually does often do, you know, this kind of psychology of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm better than you because I'm green and, or, you know, I'm teal and you're only green. And, and it's, um, you know, so in, in the kind of peer-to-peer uh, vision, what I see interesting is that um, we don't have to do that ranking. What, what we create is a universal transparent system where everybody can see where he can find his place, right? Mm. And, and you're always better at something than another person, but you're also worse at something else than another person. And it doesn't matter. We don't judge people as a whole that you're better than another person. Uh, but we have this kind of contributory system where everybody can say, oh, I, I can contribute that. And all these contributions are necessary to the health of the whole, right? So then the second step, so in this in this system, you don't have to rank people. You just have to make sure they have skills. Uh, so they have their passion. Then they have to be able to express it to their skills. Because, you know, if you have, and then find a, uh, find a project that, that that can use their passion and their skill basically right mm. but then the next step is to recognize that not everybody has necessary skills right and so then you can start talking about the commons of capabilities mm-hmm. and this is one of the also i think so maybe i come to another the same kind of conclusion from with another language and the, and so i see the the role of the public sphere which is kind of the commons of the commons yeah mm-hmm. yeah because because every single common does not take into account the common good of everyone like if you do linux you want linux to be good but maybe it's destroying the environment somewhere that's not your concern right yeah. so every every commons is looking at its own social object not necessarily at the whole society so we still need common good institutions um and and these, the role of these common institutions, let's take Bologna as an example. You know, they have this Bologna regulation, but what if one neighborhood with very educated people and, and, and more wealthy people have more time to do commoning as opposed to another neighborhood where they need to have two jobs just to survive? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that, that wouldn't be a fair system, even though it would be a common system, it would be a fair system. So then the role of the public sphere is to make sure that everybody 
has these capabilities and the conditions of you know to, to choose the commons of their choice right mm -hmm. so that's a bit a bit a similar way of, of thinking and I, I want to broach another subject if you don't mind um, yeah please I, and it's not something I have a like a full answer to but I think this is the key for the future so I, I see we have two logics today one is a territorial logic so we, we you know we live in a place we live in a territory um, that territory has an ecology and it has historically you know evolved to a na to being a nation state system with multilateral international uh, institutions what we're developing for now for the last 20 years is a, another system that's based on virtual territory where this you know we get we organize around social objects in a translocal way so if you do permaculture of course you're interested in your local situation and then you're learning and doing the permaculture design workshop and maybe getting certified in a global system that is actually not linked to the to the nation state system does that make sense yeah. no totally and, and, and that's where i think the state machine is the state machine concept or theory is complementary to where you're going i think all yeah. right okay i i think we need to find bridges between those two worlds and that we don't have them yet in, in a satisfactory way uh, mm -hmm. so i don't believe personally in the right-wing libertarian idea that you know we can build this panarchy uh where we choose our own nations and i i don't think that works in a territorial world i'm sorry you know i i, I don't want the sharia in, in in belgium you know to take just an example right i don't want people to be totally free I, I had, I want there to be some kind of bottom line democratic human rights based, you know, system, yeah. because that's our historical accomplishment. Um, but I want people, you know, to work globally, translocally, transnationally at these projects, which benefit the whole world, right? And so the key then becomes how do we create this kind of inter bridges between both that for me is so i think we'll have an, the international system is not good enough and is actually declining and so we need to build transnational institutions well i think that's a key and, right now i definitely identify you know when you when you get to the stage i guess this this moment in history and if you have some education and intelligence and creative thought, it, it, I think it becomes pretty obvious that, you know, we have to, we have to step up and transform society in different ways. And it seems to me that there's a branching pattern. There's, I mean, there's a multiplicity, there's a whole spectrum in between these, but in general, we're seeing, you know, movements, sort of like uh, ethno-nationalist movements, that that are underpinning you know um what's happening in the in the united states and what's happening in, in the uk and what's happening in france and other places um and then on the other hand you have which i think gets a lot less press because it's not as what or or the press that it gets is confusing um you have i think what you're talking about which is the need to build both new global institutions 
with some sort of subsidiarity to local yeah. commoning and, and, you know, enterprise yeah. uh, interests and municipalities yeah. and all of these different things. And we have to accomplish, like, we can't, I don't think, I don't think we can just sort of like collapse into sort of like the Steve Bannon version of the world in which, yeah, you know, agree. you have yeah. these like walled nation states that take care of no, their no. own. And, but I understand <laughs> the, I understand the motivation there, right? I understand the analysis, the logical analysis of the world has many elements that are right, but they miss it. Somehow it misses what's actually demanded of us, which I think you're, making a really beautiful invitation for people to see in a more nuanced way what's being demanded, which is yeah. sort of at different levels and in different ways, engaging and commenting essentially yeah. as the, the invitation for how to like and create this new world. So it's, it's, it's also a, a, an issue of stocks and flows, I think. So that the, you know, the political world, which is based on the nation state and geography, you know, things in terms of stock, you know, this is my industry, this is my this, my that, and we, and so they want to protect it. And, but you can also have this vision of, okay, you know, as even as a nation state, the more knowledge flows, you know, from the global sphere into our local sphere, the better for us, right? So. So you, you, this is a vision I would like to translate to, you know, progressive uh, politics is that this, this, um, this transnational aspect is actually very good for the geography, right? And so that's yeah. what the cosmolocal, what the cosmolocal is about is this idea of, okay, we, we do have to retreat from some form of material globalization because it's unsustainable. We're spending three times as much on transport on making uh, but we don't it's want crazy. to retreat we don't want to retreat and become isolated and not be able to actually deal with all the global problems because there's a lot of problems we can deal with on a purely isolated geographical basis right and so then we need this expansive vision uh, and open up to these translocal transnational flows I want to give you one example from this and I don't know then maybe it's probably time that we stop um, so, you know, if you take urban commoning, right? Um, I went to Tuscany a few years ago. They had 13 pieces of software to order organic food from collective purchasing groups. That's insane, right? It's insane that they're just replicating all that work continuously. It doesn't make sense. So what if cities would coalesce, you know, and say, Okay, we need shared mobility, we need shared transportation. So let's have protocol cooperatives. Let's put mm. these protocols to mutualize these provision systems in a common pool. Let's get agreements with solidarity economy, with ethical finance, you know, uh, you, even maybe classical capital, who knows. And then let's deal, integrate the people, right? So we would have kind of these intercity global infrastructures that can exist in parallel with the nation state and can mutualize these infrastructures, right? Yeah, and no, I love it. And I think there's such a role, to... you, you could, 
you could create some very interesting, if you mutualize those, those basic infrastructures, uh, transport, provisioning of, of uh, food, et cetera, um, I can see you can, you could, there's a lot of design space there, but you could include traditional capital in that you could, you could bake in some um, reasonable return on investment and dividends while also yeah. giving citizens both universal um, basic income of some sort of sort of mutual credit currency that they can spend on those goods and services, as well as some sort of universal basic asset where everyone is essentially a shareholder in yeah. the entity. And, yeah. you know, and those two things could be linked. And so it's not just like that there's a welfare check. It's that, okay, we're all part of this group. And, you know, I as a citizen have this share and yeah. that share comes with responsibility, but it also comes with a payment yeah. that I can use to, you know, access the ride share and I can use to access the, you know, other goods exactly. and services, or I could and save it and I could, you know, convert it into another form of capital and I can become an entrepreneur in some way if that's what I would like to do. So there's, yeah. I mean, it's totally within our realm of, it's, it's completely viable and doable at this stage if there's will but we we do not have yet and this is something i would like to work on we don't have think tanks we don't have any political force at this stage which can translate this right because the the left is still thinking in terms of keynesian nation state logic yeah um and and so that's 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 still a, 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 a uphill struggle. But there's there's a progress in cities. For example, Amsterdam just signed a kind of city maker contract. They will spend 10% of the budget, which is enormous, uh, in agreement with citizen groups. This is uh, this is new, and this that's is a, you know, really I think a good step in the. In the right direction. This is, I think, very. Uh, Where did you say that was? Um, in in Amsterdam. Yeah, I, that's, that's so there's, amazing. There's I mean, a yearning. There's a yearning amongst certain politicians to go in that route. Uh, well, I think we this is where the meta modern. This is where the, the there's a potential intersection in terms of the you know the, the politics of commoning, meta modern politics. Um, and I do I agree. I, well, I think honestly, I think this transcends the left-right spectrum in a way yeah. because you have the ability for people who would like to. There's a complete respect for for people who would like to preserve traditional social values, as well as people who would like to create sort of new social values. The invitation is around process and tools for people to gather together, go through a process, define the boundaries that maintain a healthy culture, define the, you know, stocks and flows and provisioning and interact in a nested way with municipalities and regions. And so there's no um, judgment around how people, as you were saying, the 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 ju it's judgment free around you know what level people are at whatever yeah. that means um the the social construct that you would like to live in is um you know there's actually quite uh spacious boundaries that people can kind of create their own 
uh, reality within. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm. I think it's a viable. I think it's viable. I think you're right. You know, there does at this moment in time, because of the way that politics works um, and markets work, I think there's pragmatic yeah. approaches on the market side. Region Network is an example of that. Um, I don't see very much pragmatic approach on the political side. And I, you know, I do wonder, I think it's inevitable if, place, if, if companies like, you know, Region Network Development, which is doing the work on um, you know, the open source software development work on Region Network, are wildly successful or other sort of, you know, of this new wave of businesses, likely those businesses will start to cycle funding into yeah. think tanks and into lobbying groups and other things. That's just inevitable, right? As you, you try to create, yeah. as you were saying, the burgers started to invest in the cities in order to that sort of yeah. self-gardening cycle. But I wonder if there isn't enough, like, do we need to wait? 10 years until the, the, this wave of businesses that are trying to meet the moment are wildly successful? Or is there actually an existing group of businesses um, that, that have the foresight to understand that there needs to be investment in sort of in, in this, this vision, essentially, this nested, commoning, yeah. commons market hybrid you know, um, cosmo-local so. approach. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly movement towards, you know, impact investment and, and social entrepreneurship and purpose-driven, mission-driven. So there's definitely movement there, but I don't think that the ideas of the commons are yet understood. I think these are more people, you know, kind of the afterwave of the, of the 60s and the 70s, uh, representing all those ideas from that period. And, it, and, and this was the first wave, and it's very important that this is now, you know, spreading. Uh, but what we are doing, I think, is still, you know, a bit more marginal than that. Um, so I, I try to combine, you know, just to maintain my, my sanity, basically, is to have a very radical strategic vision, but then simply rejoice, you know, whenever something moves forward. You know, because uh, you can only do so much as an individual, right? So, um, you know, I, I keep my eye on all those things that are moving forward. And a lot of things are moving forward. Maybe not fast enough, but, you know, if I look 10 years ago and today, I mean, it's amazing what we've already done in just 10 years. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, well, um Beautiful. I, I wonder if maybe to conclude, you wouldn't uh, mind sharing a little bit of, you know, resources where people could engage, you know, some information about the peer to peer foundation, just anything that you'd like to leave listeners with as far as, you know, sort of breadcrumbs to, to yeah. you know, well, the, walk the... down this path. So the best, the best way is, first of all, we have a wiki, uh, wiki.p2pfoundation.net, which has 22,000 articles and it's, it's very finely organized. Um, so for example, you know, P2P accounting, you probably don't even know, you know, most people don't even know it exists, but we have maybe 700 items on this topic. And so everything we have are things that exist so that, so I don't take in just people who want to do something. It has to be already in some form existing, tried, experimented with. 
So th this, you know, this is like the empirical basis of our work is in the wiki. Um, then I do curation. I do a lot of curation. Uh, I know it's controversial Facebook, but I, you know, it, I have my community there and I have six or seven groups, but the main one is called P2P. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm a librarian. I, I think I know what's important and what's less important. So I, I kind of use my own judgment to curate, you know, what is happening in the P2P common space. I think it's one, it's like reading a newspaper, right? Um, and then we make reports. Every year we make a synthesis. So I have one called Value in the Commons, Commons-based Urban Transitions, P2P Accounting for Planetary Survival. Uh, this summer I will do uh, a textbook on Commons Economics. And I have a big project uh, to, to update Karl Polanyi, The Great Transformation. So I kind of, uh, I'm going to work for three years on a kind of book that is a kind of world history according to the commons. You create a genealogy uh, for commoning, basically. That's um, exciting. And um, yeah, I think that's that's it, really. Um, um, you know, so yeah, fantastic. And yeah, no, yeah, no. Please keep going. No, no, just check out the wiki. Uh, if, if you don't dislike Facebook too much, check out the forum. Uh, and then see also, you know, we have these uh, reports that we publish and, and books. So my, my, I have a book that synthesizes 10 years of research. It's called P2P, the Commons Manifesto. And it's kind of a broad view of institutional design. So what are the commons, what are good markets, what are you know, healthy state forms and how can we combine them in an optimal way so that, uh, you know, we can move to the next stage of, of civilization, basically. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Well, fantastic, Michelle. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for taking time to um, chat on the podcast. And um, yeah, just wishing you and your family and, and all of the yeah, thank you. interrelated commons that you're a part of uh, health and um, yeah. just health and wellness and I, right I want now. To, yeah, and I want to thank you too, because I, you know, I must say that uh, I really think Region Network is uh, at the leading edge. And so, yeah, I, I wish you will be one of the companies <laughs> that can fund think tanks and stuff in a few years. That thank you. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do think, as well. <laughs> I think our, our conversation is proof that there is actually already, you know, a commons political culture. The fact mm. that we can talk and understand each other means that we already share, you know, common understandings, right? Even though we hardly ever met. I mean, I, I think I met you in a hotel in Amsterdam or once. Um, but, you know, so there is this language, there is this common language already that is a new politics a new view of civilization and you know we share it yeah yeah no exactly i think there is a community of people who are aware and are thinking um really well around um, and obviously we all have our blind spots and and you know we won't know those until the next generation looks back but um yeah. i do think you're right that there's an emergent um, and an increasingly self-aware group of people in the world who yeah. who can essentially have what amounts to be a political 
conversation and commonality and maybe even emerging platform um, that's, yeah. that sort of transcends left and right and um, can help invite um, people to participate in their own uh, sort of sovereign engagement with the economy and, and creation of communities, not just individual yeah, sovereignty, but sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, community um, solidarity. So, yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. It's, I could thank keep you, talking Gregory. with you all day, but I, yeah, I yeah. want to let you go for your yeah, evening. My, and, my um, voice I'll... is already a bit. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Stay healthy. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.